0: Hello and welcome. In his book A Path with Heart, Jack Cornfield writes about how learning to let go is the same as learning to love. He says this, In the stress and complexity of our lives we may forget our deepest intentions. But when people come to the end of their life and look back, the questions that they most often ask are not usually how much is in my bank account or how many books did I write or what did I build, or the like. If you have the privilege of being with a person who is aware at the time of his or her death, you find the questions such a person asks are very simple. Did I love well? Did I live fully? Did I learn to let go? These simple questions go to the very center of spiritual life. When we consider loving well and living fully, we can see the ways our attachments and fears have limited us and we can see the many opportunities for our hearts to open. Have we let ourselves love the people around us, our family, our community, the earth upon which we live? And did we also learn to let go? Did we learn to live through the changes of life with grace, wisdom and compassion? Have we learned to forgive and live from the spirit of the heart instead of the spirit of judgment? Letting go is a central theme in spiritual practice as we see the preciousness and brevity of life. When letting go is called for, if we've not learned to do so, we suffer greatly. And when we get to the end of our life, we may have what is called a crash course. Sooner or later, we have to learn to let go and allow the changing mystery of life to move through us without our fearing it, without holding and grasping. I knew a young woman who sat with her mother during an extended bout of cancer. Part of this time, her mother was in the hospital hooked up to dozens of tubes and machines. Mother and daughter agreed that the mother did not want to die this way and when the illness progressed, she was finally removed from all of the medical paraphernalia and allowed to go home. Her cancer progressed further. Still, the mother had a hard time accepting her illness she tried to run the household from her bed to pay bills and oversee all the usual affairs of her life. She struggled with her physical pain, but she struggled more with her inability to let go. One day in the midst of the struggle, much sicker now and a bit confused, she called her daughter to her and said, Daughter dear, please now pull the plug. And her daughter gently pointed out, Mother, you're not plugged in. Some of us, have a lot to learn about letting go. Letting go and moving through life from one change to another brings the maturing of our spiritual being. In the end, we discover that to love and let go can be the same thing. Both ways do not seek to possess. Both allow us to touch each moment of this changing life and allow us to be there fully for whatever arises next. There's an old story about a famous rabbi living in Europe who was visited one day By a man who had travelled by ship from New York to see him. The man came to the great rabbi's dwelling, a large house on a street in a European city, and was directed to the rabbi's room, which was in the attic. He entered to find the master living in a room with a bed, a chair and a few books. The man had expected much more. After greetings he asked, Rabbi, where are your things? The rabbi asked in return, Well, where are yours? His visitor replied, But Rabbi, I am only passing through. And the Master answered, So am I, so am I. To love fully and live well requires us to recognize finally that we do not possess or own anything, our homes, our cars, our loved ones, not even our own body. Spiritual joy and wisdom do not come through possession, but rather through our capacity to open, to love more fully and to move and be free in life. This is not a lesson to be put off. One great teacher explained it this way, the trouble with you is that you think you have time. We don't know how much time we have. What would it be like to live with the knowledge that this may be our last year, our last week, our last day? In light of this question, we can choose a path with heart. At the end of the program last week, we quoted Lama Zoparamsheh, the spiritual director of the Foundation for the Preservation of the Mahayana Tradition. If you were with us, you may remember that he said, in the case of material possessions, you can either let go of the objects by offering to the Guru, Buddha, Dharma and Sangha, who are the field of merit, or by making charity to sentient beings. This means that you either give the objects away now, or you at least completely dedicate them by making a clear decision to offer them to the field of merit or as charity to others, even though they will physically be given later. You can do this by writing it down in a will, but even if you make a will, at least in your heart, make the offering now to the Guru, Buddha, Dharma and Sangha. Dedicate your possessions to holy objects or give them away, making charity for specific causes and in various ways, that can benefit sentient beings. Make the total dedication right now in your heart and mind because death can come any day or minute. The moment you think this, the painful mind of attachment goes away from your heart so your mind is total peace and happiness. It's like an apple a day keeping the doctor away. It's easy to understand offering to the Guru. When offering to the Buddha, Dharma and Sangha you can just offer from your heart. The main thing here. The very point of the practice is to let go so that you don't torture yourself with attachment. Lama Zopa's teaching comes in his consideration of the five powers to practice at death time which we have been looking at over the last couple of programs. And again, if you have been with us in previous programs you will know that we are looking at the text Mind Training Like the Rays of the Sun by Nam Kapel. This is his commentary on another text popular with followers of Tibetan Buddhism, the seven points of mind training. In any case, the five points to practice for the time of death are 1. the power of the white seed, 2. the power of intention, 3. the power of remorse, 4. the power of prayer and 5. the power of familiarity. We are going through the first, the power of the white seed, which if you remember means we should purify all our negativities and give up all attachments before we die, so that we can go with an easy, carefree mind. And that is why I let Jack Cornfield open our program today. As he says, at death we are not going to be asked how much is in our bank account, or how many rooms there are in our house. The question is how much we have let go, how much we have truly loved. In his book, Beyond the Light, PMH Atwater investigates the number of near-death experiences and although many do not indicate any questions, that of Bryce Bond, a famous New York City media personality turned parapsychologist, does. One day Bond collapsed and was rushed to hospital with a chronic allergic reaction to pine nuts. This is how Atwater reports Bond's experience. He remembered suddenly passing through a long tunnel towards a brilliant light. And then, Bond says, I hear a bark, and racing towards me is a dog I once had, a black poodle named Peppy." When I see him, I feel an emotional floodgate open, tears for my eyes. He jumps into my arms, licking my face. As I hold him, he's real, more real than I'd ever experienced him. I can smell him, feel him, hear his breathing, and sense his great joy at being with me again. I put my dog on the ground, and step forward to embrace my stepfather when a very strong voice is heard in my consciousness. Not yet, it says. I scream out, why? Then this inner voice says, what have you learned, and whom have you helped? I am dumbfounded. The voice seems to be from without as well as within. Everything stops for a moment. I have to think of what was asked of me. I cannot answer what I have learned, but I can answer whom I have helped. I feel the presence of my dog around me as I ponder these two questions. Then I hear barking, and other dogs appear, dogs I once had. As I stand there for what seems to be an eternity, I want to embrace and be absorbed and merge. I want to stay. The sensation of not wanting to come back is overwhelming. Now this did not happen with every near-death experience, but it is perhaps significant enough that we should consider what our answer will be when our time comes to die. Perhaps it is similar to the question we ask ourselves when we think about our motivation for participating in the program today. Are we intent on getting some gain for ourselves in this life? Though I doubt a bank account can benefit from the program, maybe we are participating to gain some reputation or attract the attention of a spiritual person we have romantic inclinations towards. These our bank account type motivations, and really will not do. It'll be far better if we were here today to try to benefit all those who suffer, and this is a vast motivation because those who suffer are vast in number, and for most of us will include ourselves. Now this is called the Boricita motivation. So if we can, let's set this as our motivation for the program today, and always. Thank you. Now continuing considering the power of the white seed at death time, let's return to Lama Zoparamche's commentary. Remember he recommends that we give away everything before we die, either through offering to the Buddha Dharma and Sangha or by donating to other people and beings. He says, this way you give yourself satisfaction, total peace and happiness. There are no regrets and there is no worry caused by attachment. This brings peace, so that your mind is free and able to do various meditation techniques at the time of death. You can do the practices you know, such as Poa. By making offerings to the Buddha, Dharma and Sangha, you're not only letting go, but also creating inconceivable merit. Why? Because all three of these objects are very powerful. Even if there's nobody around to hear you, from your heart, just think, I'm offering these things to Buddha, Dharma and Sangha and then you stop the clinging. Having offered them, think it belongs to them. Then there is no more clinging. There are infinite ideas how to make your money, belongings and property most satisfactory, meaningful and beneficial, so that you are not just benefiting yourself, but also benefiting sentient beings by making charity to them. Lama Zopa goes on to say that even though all our material possessions have no essence as such, We make them meaningful for ourselves by giving them away, what he calls taking their essence. They serve as objects to increase our generosity and renunciation. He says, It all depends on how much your heart is open rather than being closed by wrong views. It depends on how well you understand the law of cause and effect. That's karma. Understanding and faith in karma opens up skies of opportunity to be most beneficial Most beneficial for whom? Most beneficial for other sentient beings. And if something is most beneficial for others, it is naturally also most beneficial for you. For example, you could dedicate money, property, or whatever you have towards preserving and spreading the teachings of the Buddha. Why is dedicating resources for the teachings of the Buddha most beneficial? Because where the sentient beings are one or numberless, what they all need is happiness. And so, by giving our possessions to them, we're spreading happiness, even if we don't have all that much. The One Tree Hill Domain in Royal Oak in Auckland is the home, as it were, to flocks of birds, mainly pigeons and sparrows. From time to time, people go there and tear up slices of bread for the birds. In the past, I've also fed them with rice. There are so many birds that it's difficult to completely fulfil the needs of all of them, but by throwing the bread or rice out most of the birds get something and are left happier than before people went there. Similarly, whether we have a lot or a little doesn't matter so much. Whatever we have we can give to others and even if they receive only something small it has the potential to make them happier than before. Lama Zopa goes on to discuss what happens when we die. He says, Consciousness doesn't just cease at the time of death. It's not like a lamp that goes out when the fuel is finished or a candle flame that goes out when the candle has come to an end. The body and mind are totally separate. They are two different phenomena. The body is substantial and therefore has color and form. The mind is non-substantial and has no color or shape. Formless phenomena are something quite different from the body. Some people might think that the mind is something like brain waves, but the mind is not an external object that can be perceived by the eye sense. The mind is also not an object that can be perceived by the ear sense. Nor is it an object that can be perceived by the nose sense, nor is it an object that can be perceived by the tongue sense, nor is it an object that can be perceived by the body sense. The mind is not an object of the five sense consciousnesses of ordinary beings like us. The mind can be an object of the sixth consciousness, the consciousness of the mind. For example, when somebody is angry, that anger can be expressed through their facial expression, which becomes tense, not peaceful, without any softness or smiles, only wrath. By seeing that form, you judge the person to be angry. Also, when a person becomes angry, their actions may be violent and their way of speaking rude or insulting. By seeing this, your mind also understands that the person is angry. You can only tell that the person's mind is angry by these external wrathful expressions and actions. But there are times when a person doesn't show that they're angry. Their mind is angry, but because it's not revealed by taking a particular form, such as violent actions, and there's no external sign of change, Unless you have clairvoyance or omniscient mind, you can't tell that that person is angry. It's the same with attachment. If one person loves somebody else, but the other person cannot see any change in their face or in the actions of their body or speech, then even though in reality there is attachment to love, the other person might believe that he or she doesn't love them. Normally you see that the other person loves me, is angry with me, or is attached to me, by looking at the external form and whatever change of action is manifested. Amazopar goes on, This phenomenon called mind has no form and its nature is clear and able to perceive objects. If the mind is trained in compassion, there is no question that a person can bring much peace and happiness into their own life. They can also bring much peace and happiness to their family, neighbors, the area and country where they live, to the whole world, and to numberless beings in other universes. They can bring happiness to numberless suras or worldly gods, numberless asuras, numberless hell beings, hungry ghosts and animals. When one person's mind is trained in compassion, it can cause all these numberless beings to have happiness in all their future lives and to have the ultimate everlasting happiness of liberation, free forever from the entire ocean of suffering of samsara, from the oceans of suffering of the hell beings, from the oceans of suffering of the hungry ghosts, from the oceans of suffering of animals, from the oceans of suffering of human beings, from the oceans of suffering of Sura beings, from the oceans of suffering of the Zuras, and from the oceans of suffering of the intermediate state beings. Not only that, it can also cause peerless happiness, full enlightenment, and complete bliss for each and every single one of the numberless sentient beings. If the mind is in the habit of transforming into negative states such as anger and self-cherishing and the person is in a position of power and influence they can destroy not only their family members but also the people and animals in the area or country where they live and on this earth. Historically it has been shown that when the mind of one person with influence and power becomes negative so many millions of people in the world can be killed. This has happened quite a number of times throughout history. Even when the body has totally disintegrated and is completely destroyed, still the sixth consciousness, the consciousness of the mind, continues from this life to the next. This is what takes birth, either through being conceived in the mother's womb, in an egg, by heat and moisture, or spontaneously born. This last one, spontaneously born, I call entering birth. Examples of this are being born on a lotus in a pure land or the consciousness taking birth inside fruit or even a rock. The reincarnated consciousness takes birth as one of the six types of transmigratory beings. Because of the continuity of consciousness the mind becomes habituated to negative self-cherishing thoughts such as anger and then it harms other beings not only in this present life but also in future lives. This is how the mind can harm all living beings. It has been harming living beings since beginningless rebirths because it has been under the control of the self-cherishing thoughts of anger, ignorance and attachment. As long as we don't change our mind, sentient beings will receive harm from this negative mind, from ourselves, without end. On the other hand, if the mind becomes positive and pure, unstained by self-cherishing thoughts, Unstained by anger, ignorance or attachment, and developed in compassion and wisdom, then this mind can cause the peerless, everlasting happiness of full enlightenment for every single sentient being. Such a compassionate mind becomes wish-fulfilling to all sentient beings. It brings complete happiness to every sentient being. The cause for other sentient beings to have happiness in every future life To receive the body of a happy transmigratory being and to experience every kind of happiness must come from their own minds. It cannot come from outside. How does it come? By their minds creating the cause of happiness, which is virtue. They have to create the virtuous action of practicing morality so that in the future they will receive the body of a happy transmigratory being. They have to create the virtuous action of practicing charity so that in the future they will have wealth. They have to create the virtuous action of practicing patience, so that in the future they will have a beautiful body and be surrounded by people who perfectly support them. By living in the morality of abstaining for gossip, for example, in future lives especially, your speech will have much power and people will pay attention to whatever you say. By gossiping, on the other hand, in future lives, Your speech will have no power. Even if you request other people to help you, they won't listen or comply. Your speech will have no power to influence or persuade others. If you engage in the non-virtuous action of telling lies, in this and so many future lives, even when you try to tell the truth, people will think that you are telling lies. These are some examples. As a result of creating the non-virtuous action of sexual misconduct in this life, Either later in this life, or in many future lives, you will experience the negative suffering effect of being sexually abused by others. Not only that, but instead of the people around you, like your husband, wife or companions, being harmonious with you, they will be against you. When the mind becomes habituated to these non-virtuous actions, not only do you have to experience negative suffering results, but also you have the habit to engage in these negative actions killing, stealing, sexual misconduct, telling lies, slandering, gossiping, hurting others' minds with words, ill-will, covetousness and so forth, again in future lives. Because of your habituation with these negative actions in the past, you are driven to engage in so much negative karma in many f- lifetimes. If you don't change your mind, if you don't purify past negative karmas, such as the ten non-virtuous actions, and if you don't create good karma by practicing morality in this life by abstaining from these negative actions then you will experience the suffering of samsara and particularly the suffering of the lower realms the sufferings of the hells hungry ghosts and animals continuously without end forever so you can see that for each individual sentient being to experience happiness in all their future lives to have a human rebirth and so on all depends on the good karma they create That means all their happiness in future lives has to come from Dharma practice, which is their own virtuous actions of body, speech and mind. Therefore, sentient beings need to be educated. They need to learn the Dharma, the teachings of the Buddha, and they need to practice. The happiness of future lives has to come from the Dharma, from the Buddha's teachings. And that is Lama Zobarumashe. Now, according to the Buddha's teachings, The most pervasive fault after ignorance not understanding the nature of reality is attachment. Under the power of ignorance, we grasp at an independent and inherently existing I and other. So we divide the world into little bits of separate realities with our I in the center of it all. Then we develop liking or dislike for the other separate bits of reality around us, according to whether they appear to bring us help or harm both like and dislike, come from attachment. I like my partner because he or she appears beautiful to me and brings me many benefits, but I don't like my enemies because they harm me. But if I look behind the hatred, I find attachment to my way of doing things, to the way I think, to the things or people my enemies have harmed, and so on. And if I dismiss strangers, It is because they do not appear to help or harm the I that I am so attached to. So attachment is behind all our negative attitudes and actions. And if we die with attachment in our minds, as we have so often done up to now, we will continue to experience all the sufferings of samsara ad infinitum, as Lama Zopa says. He introduces some traditional stories about attachment after a quote, by a great Tibetan Lama by the name of Pabongka Rinpoche. Lama Zopa says, The great enlightened being Pabongka Dechen Nyingpo said that if you give away what you are attached to, there is nothing else, not even another person creating root merits on your behalf that can be more helpful after your death. Then Lama Zopa asks, What happens if you don't let go of the desire that clings to your possessions? Pabongka Dechen Nyingpo told the following stories about the shortcomings of not letting go. A fully ordained monk was attached to his begging bowl and was was reborn as a snake. The Buddha chased the snake into the forest and the snake got angry. The fire of the snake's anger burnt down the forest and it was reborn in the hell realms, which means the snake's consciousness transmigrated to the hells. So what happened here is that the human body of the fully ordained monk was burned by the fire of attachment and that caused him to migrate into a snake's body. The snake's body was then burned by anger which caused the snake to migrate to the hell realms. Then the hell body was also burned by fire so all three bodies burned in the fire. Now this is a variation on the story mentioned by Nam Kapel in Mind Training Like the Rays of the Sun which we've gone through in a previous program. Namazopa continues, Another person was obsessed with some gold that was hidden under the ground. This person was reborn as a snake and was forced to offer the gold to the Buddha. If you are attached to someone else's body or even to your own body this can create the cause to be reborn as a worm inside that body. In ancient times in India there was a woman's corpse lying on the ocean shore. A worm that looked like a snake lived in the corpse and would slither constantly in and out of the nose, mouth, ears, eyes and so on. The worm was said to be the incarnation of a girl who had been attached to her own body and was always looking at herself in the mirror and then was born as this long worm circling inside her own dead body. There's another story of a simple monk who was extremely attached to some money. He died and was reborn as a frog that would spend its time clutching this money. Some people find it very difficult to die due to attachment. And that's Lama Zopramashe. And that is where we're going to have to leave the program today for now our time is up. Once again, thank you for joining the program, and I hope you'll do so again next time. Please dedicate any positive potential we've accumulated through the program to gaining enlightenment to benefit all beings everywhere. Thank you, and goodbye. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices, or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Apple Podcasts.